Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Speakernomics, the podcast about becoming a better speaker and building a better business. I'm your host, Tom Singer, and I have the honor to host this podcast where we get to interview some of the most compelling speakers in the industry so that we together can learn from them and go forth and make our businesses better. And today, we are going to talk about the performance side of being a speaker. You know, we talk a lot about how to make money on this show, but we don't always delve into the stagecraft performance side. And today, we are joined by Peter Katz, and I'll tell you all about him in a minute, but Peter, welcome to Speakernomics. Thank you, Tom. Happy to be here. So, Peter, what are your two tips on how speakers can improve their performance? Tip number one, I would say start with heart and know your purpose. And tip number two is curate the experience. All right, we're going to dive in and unpack those tips today. But for those of you who don't know Peter Katz, and you should because he is going to be one of the opening speakers at the National Speakers Association's Influence 2022 in Nashville coming up in July, he's going to kick us off. And so you're going to want to make sure that you've registered and you're there because here's the thing. Peter is a singer-songwriter. He is a speaker and a facilitator. And one of his clients one time referred to him as a thunderbolt for the soul. Think about that for a minute. How would you like to be called a thunderbolt for the soul? That is awesome. And what he does is he gets people to drop into their heart and get clear on their humanity. And he does it through the use of stories and music and just all around guiding people to this type of an experience. And that's what we're going to experience at Influence 2022. So, Peter, I want to get right in to this first tip about starting with the heart and knowing the purpose. What do you mean by that? Well, so I actually have my my background and initially before even my music career was I did a degree in theater performance. And and one of the most memorable things that I one of my teachers ever said to me was that nervousness is selfishness. And initially I was sort of taken back by that idea <laughs> because I certainly felt nervous in many moments. And what she meant by that was that in our job as as performers, anybody on stage in any capacity is we're really there in in service, right? People have not come to watch us fail. They have come to be uplifted, to be transformed, to be touched, moved, inspired, whatever that might be. And so, in a way, the, the greatest crime that we could commit is to make it about ourselves. And so, I always like to think about, okay, well, why am I here? Like, what, what have these people 
come for? What, 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 what do they need in this moment? What, who, what industry am I speaking to? You know, what might they be dealing with? And so the way that I sort of reframe, um, that, that, that nervousness. And I, I, I turn it into this sense of excitement is I get excited about, okay, how can I, how can I really show up in service of these people? And so what that looks like is, is doing a really deep dive on who I'm speaking to. I always like to interview, uh, not just the C-suite or the meeting planner or whoever's brought me in, but I like to actually interview some of the people who are going to be in the audience, gathering some of their stories, uh, really kind of understanding the, the, the temperature in the room, so to speak, and figuring out, okay, like how do, how do their experiences and my experiences overlap? And then within that overlap, what can I do to, to really be of service to them? And so when I show up with that sense of, of true service to them, then, like I said, that sense of, of nervousness where it's sort of about me, the same maybe physiological feelings I interpret then as excitement, as like, oh, yes, I get to do this thing right now. What an honor and a privilege that I have the microphone for this hour with this group of people. How can I really show up in service with them uh, for them? And so I feel like when you have that clear sense of, of knowing why you're doing what you're doing, knowing who you're doing it for, then, then you're really able to show up with a great sense of presence, a great sense of care, um, a great sense of service. And ultimately you're setting yourself up to create maximal impact for, for those audiences. Yeah. And I think that's wonderful that we, that we do remember that every audience is going to be different. So we have to do sort of that deep dive. But what I'm sensing from you is you do a little bit more than maybe other speakers do. I mean, pretty much everyone we talk to goes, oh, yeah, I interview the meeting planner. I find out who the people are. I like to interview the people. But there's something in the way you described it that leads me to believe you go just a little bit deeper than the average presenter does. Tell me how you do that. How do you really find out who's in the audience and what they need? Absolutely. And, and, um, yeah, I, again, I don't know sort of what everybody else does, but I do hear almost weekly from meeting planners and, and CEOs and they say, nobody has cared about us as much as you do. And, and maybe that's just sort of my background as a, as an artist where certainly in the early days of, of being a touring singer songwriter, uh, you really have to care about your audience because sometimes there's only two people there. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, again, many of the early years of my, of my music career, I was, uh, I, I would go on tour for six, seven weeks and never sleep in a hotel because I couldn't afford it. And, and that would be me from the stage saying, hey, does anybody have somewhere I could sleep? And so, you know, you just develop a really deep uh, appreciation and connection for your audience and just just a, a yeah, just a respect and a reverence. And so I certainly carried that over to my to my speaking career and every every client that that I have the, the great fortune of working with, I really I set it as my goal and I say this to them. I say, look, I don't want to just open a can and deliver a talk here. I really want to know who I'm speaking to. So I'll do a pretty in-depth call um, with as many of the, of the, of the, you know, kind of organizers as, as I can. And that's kind of just step one. And then I'll ask them, I say, okay, can you, can you give me, I call it a diagonal slice. Okay. Can I get a diagonal slice? I want to talk to from the CEO down to the, the person operating the forklift or like, you know, whatever that might be. But I really want to understand what it's like to be, at this company, this organization, this association, whatever that might be, because I think one of the one of the 
you know, what you don't want to do is, is not have a sense of the temperature of the room. You don't want to come in just sort of hearing what HR or the meeting planner or what the CEO says about what it's like to work here, because they might actually have a very different uh, sense than, than some of the people that are sort of more to boot, boots on the ground. And so if I really want to connect with that audience, I need to understand that, that, that full picture. And that's going to cause me to choose different language to show up with a different tone. Certainly I take some of the story. I have very specific questions that I ask people in those interviews and I take those questions, um, that kind of reveal these, these, these more unexpected stories and those stories become the fabric of my talk. So when I say customization, I'm not just, you know, talking to a group of real estate people and saying, yay, mortgages. I'm, I'm actually telling (laughs) specific stories that, you know, one of the brokers might've told me or, or whatever that might be that they are hearing their names, their stories, their experiences within the fabric of my talk. So how many people do you talk to on average before a presentation? Uh, I would say, Often on the, in the in the initial planning call, there's sort of one to four people. That's the that's the kind of people that are calling the meeting. And then I talk to generally about another like four to six. So I would say kind of up to ten people um, within an organization. Um, and they're not the longest interviews they are 15, 20 minutes. Um, like the, the initial client call is usually about an hour and then, and then 15, 20 minutes interviews with people. And, and I, like I said, I have a very specific series of questions that I ask that kind of, I developed through my, my facilitation training to get at the heart of the matter in an efficient and heartfelt way. So what are, give me a little bit of a taste of the types of questions you might ask sort of an audience member, you know, before the, before the presentation. For sure. So the, the first question that I always ask is, is, and sometimes the, the, you know, meeting planner, whoever has provided me with a little bit of background in advance, like maybe just a job title and a name or something like that. So, um, but if I don't have that information or even just to sort of hear it from them, I, I obviously just want the kind of nuts and bolts of like, you know, who are you and what do you do? But then I always create an invitation for them to go a little deeper. And so I ask, I say, okay, when you wake up in the morning, what are some of the impacts that you're trying to create through your work? And I, I, I subdivide that, giving them the option, whichever of these realms is going to resonate with them. So for some people, they're going to resonate with the client. Like, you know, I really want to serve the client or then like, I'm talking to healthcare. Like, I really want to serve the patient. And that's the impact that they want to create with other people. It might be about supporting their team. So maybe they don't, they don't like the client so much, but they love their team. And so they're going to be motivated and about impacting their team. And then there's, you know, another category of person, again, no judgment around where anybody falls. Um, but that's just like, well, this is my job. This is how I make money. So I'm like, okay, tell me about the impact that you want to create for your family, for your life, for your career path. So I give them those sort of three options and that helps me kind of understand at a base level, kind of what makes them tick. And then the next question that I ask is a, is, is what I call like a high point question. And so I say, okay, you know, these are the impacts that you're, you're trying to make. I I hear that. I say, can you tell me a story, um, uh, whether it was yesterday, a week ago, 10 years ago, where you felt most proud of, of the work that you're able to do, or where you were able to deliver upon that, that impact that you wish to create. And I always give them the option to say, look, it could be some big moment or it could be the tiniest thing. It could be something that's just like an everyday thing. And like the woman I interviewed the other day, she said, she said, I don't have a specific moment, but 
like I've been working here for 20 years and, and I, every day I just, I just try to bring a little joy and laughter to my colleagues. And I was like, that's beautiful. Um, and I told her story within the keynote of, of, of that impact that she has on, on the office morale. And then the third question that I always ask is, okay, picture that I'm an alien and I'm landing outside of X company or organization or association. And it's your job to meet me at the front door. And before I walk in this, that room, you got to say, all right, Peter, this is what you need to know about us, about our, you know, shared values, shared challenges, whatever that may be, like whatever comes to mind when I ask that question. And then I kind of let them go. And then the final most important question you can ever ask that you should always make sure to ask is, is there anything else? Uh, Because you often get some of the absolute best nuggets when you just kind of, after you've built that bond with people and that trust and that connection, you just kind of open the door to say, does anything else, you know, come to mind? And that's often where, where the gold comes. Oh, that's awesome. I hope everybody took notes on all that or, or hit rewind and go back and listen to those questions. Cause that's a lot more in depth than what I've been asking for years. And so I really like that. You know, you mentioned earlier that you started your career as a singer songwriter and you were traveling, you know, playing in little towns and, and little bars where maybe you'd have a dozen or so people in the audience and you know you made the joke about i didn't want to pay for hotels i would have to ask the audience like hey can i crash with somebody it it dawned on me as i think about like the speaking community could all of you listening imagine for a minute that every time you gave a speech you had to connect with the audience enough so that someone would let you surf on their couch later that night that would that would change probably how all of us would approach every audience if uh if we had to sing for that extra guest room uh (laughs) along the way or speak for that extra guest room along the way it certainly keeps you humble. Um, I'm grateful for those many years of, of, <laughs> of forced humility. Uh, and now I really appreciate, it's funny that when I started getting into speaking, the, the contrast, um, like in the music business, you, nobody's paying for your hotels, your flights, you're, you're paying for everything, you're paying for the band, you're paying for everything. And then I got into speaking and it's like, oh, they <laughs> cover all my expenses and then I get paid? Yeah. What is happening here? So, yeah, like I, I'm pretty sure they'll give you a room at the Gaylord when you speak at, at the National Speakers Association. So I can't wait. <laughs> hey, so then the other thing that comes to mind off of what you've, we've just talked about is how important do you think it is for speakers to have had some sort of other experience in performance. Do you think we learn from different areas like you being a singer songwriter? It makes you stronger as a speaker. I've talked to people who have been actors. Uh, I myself have tried my hand at stand up comedy for the last few years, and I find that to be the hardest use of the spoken word. Um, but I talk to people who have been in other areas of performance, dance and, and other things, and they say they bring that into their speaking. Do you, do you think that's a good way to improve your stagecraft is to have done other types of performance? A million percent. I, I, I mean, the thing to me about speaking is, is I didn't even know that that was a thing. You know, I mean, I like, of course, I, I knew that there were people that were called speakers, and I knew that existed. But most of my adult life was spent in a van driving literally around the world, and so I, I didn't live in the world where where speakers lived, and yet. Uh, I did my degree in theater. I have this background in music. I've stood on stage. I've literally played thousands of concerts. Um, I also, I used to teach like swimming lessons. And so I, there was like this sort of facilitation coaching kind of a, a thing. And, and, and all of these things kind of suddenly came together in this, this world called speaking where I was able to, 
approach it, you know, I know we'll, we'll get into tip two. I think this will be a nice segue into tip two. Um, but I, I don't just think of it through the lens of, okay, I'm a speaker. Therefore, what am I saying? Of course, what am I saying matters, but there's all these other elements that I'm bringing in, in the stagecraft and just the, the, the thinking that I have around what that moment on the stage means. I'm so grateful that I have this sort of diversity of experience behind it. So I think that's what makes a great speaker is, is certainly there's, there's the craft of, okay, what am I saying? How am I developing my stories? How's my diction or whatever that might be. But I think if you, what you want to bring is, is that authenticity of experience. You want to have lived what you're talking about. And so that's where that, that diversity really comes in. And that's, that's where the differentiation really comes in. So that is a great segue to your other tip, which was curating the experience in advance mm-hmm. and, and during your performance. So what do you mean by curate the experience? So when I was doing my degree in theater, we studied something called semiotics. And semiotics is basically the the, the study of, of symbols. And the, the example that I like to use to illustrate that is if you think about it, when you go to the opera, right, mm-hmm. there's all these things that happen before anybody with a Viking hat comes out and sings anything, right? You arrive at the opera. It's generally some beautiful building. There's a red carpet that you're walking along. There's, you know, golden handles on the door. There's somebody in a, in a tuxedo that opens the door. Everybody's dressed up. There's a chandelier. All of this stuff is giving value. It's like curating the experience before any notes of the opera have been sung. Contrast that with going to a dingy bar to seeing, you know, your favorite local rock band. And there's a, you know, a guy in a leather jacket smoking a cigarette at the door. And he's like, it's 10 bucks and a get in line. And you walk in and there's, you know, sticky floors and you sort of crowd in. And uh, and there's a there's a magic to that experience as well. But you have a different sense of value uh, and, and of the experience than you had going to the opera. Right. So. All of those are these different symbols that are sort of signaling value, signaling, okay, something special is happening here or or something raucous is happening over here. And so I feel like as speakers, we want to harness whatever of those elements uh, and symbols that we are able to. So I've been known to show up uh, at events with a bag of lights. If I don't like the lighting. Uh, I, I will take the trouble of rearranging things. If, if the seating to me doesn't feel conducive to connection and I have any control over that, um, I will do that. In fact, the speaking moment that changed my life, I was speaking at, at, at a conference um, where I had been doing a lot of youth speaking, but I actually had never done a, a talk for, for grownups before. Uh, and, um, and it just so happened that the, the the person that that was running that conference, his favorite song of all time was one of my songs. So I kind of got a lucky break, and he put me as the closing speaker for you know all 500 people. And there was all kinds of fancy people there that were sort of speaking on the Tuesday afternoon at two o'clock, and I was on the Saturday night at eight o'clock on like main stage. And I walked into the room, and he had it oriented and there was like no lighting. And I I was like, this is not going to do what I want to do. Like I want to create this hermetically sealed 
vibe of emotion and connection in here and the way that this is laid out is is not going to work and that there was some like lights off in the corner and there were some speakers over here and i just kind of had the room to myself for about two hours and i just rolled up my sleeves and i reorganized the room and i moved the speakers and i changed the lighting and i you know i, I created this sort of these sort of semicircles and so that the focus could be where i needed the focus to be people could feel connected to each other the lights could be dimmed and he actually walked in and, and had a bit of a, a sort of a, a panic attack. And he's like, wait, what, what the, what the hell are you doing? Um, and I said, I said, trust me. And, and I, I, I managed to have a bit of that, like, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi, like, these are not the droids you're looking for. And he was like, okay. Even though he was panicking, cause this was like the closing moment of his conference. And of course it went incredibly well. And people were like, oh my gosh, like, like the vibe was so special and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah. I thought about that. And so we don't really want to be at the mercy of of those elements. And look, sometimes you're you're not going to be able to control the lighting or the seating like you're you're in a theater, you're in an auditorium or whatever that might be. Sure. Sometimes you can and you don't you don't realize you can and it's not about being a diva. If we go back to tip number 1, it's like, "Hey, I want to show up in service of this audience. So, so let me, let me help you do that. But even little things that we can control is what's happened right before, like what's the vibe in the room. I remember speaking at a conference, um, it was a 2000 person theater and there was literally the guy before me <laughs> had, had a, had an Excel file, uh, on a giant screen. And it was like an accounting conference. That's always exciting is when the accountant <laughs> is the one speaking. Yeah. yeah. So, but I'm paying attention, right? I'm like, okay, it's not like I'm just dropping in from the outer space. And this conference is starting the second that I start speaking. There's all of these things that have happened right before me. And all of these people that are sitting in those seats, they know that those things have happened before and they're they're within that energy they're within that so i need to i need to bridge from that and transition and signal to them that something new is going to happen here so in that instance i was like all right i'm going to start right away with like a song that's going to like flip the energy maybe like make a, some kind of kind joke about the Excel file, but you know, not to knock the other speaker down or something like that. I mean, that was his point. Right. It was like a technical session. Um, but just signal like, Hey, you can, you can like release your shoulders here for a second. And I had, I spoke to the, the stage crew cause they had just had general lighting up for that session. I said, let's dim the lights. Let's create a transition and have a moment so that all of a sudden it feels like, oh my gosh, there's, there's a concert happening. Something different is happening. Um, and so I think just to kind of remove our blinders, because sometimes we're so focused on, okay, this is what I'm going to say. This is what I'm going to do, blah, 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 that you kind of miss what's happening. Uh, again, to go back to my, my theater training, you know, some people think that a great actor, like they're acting and the stage falls over, you know, one of the walls and they just keep acting. But we all saw the wall fall, fall over. So a great actor is going to somehow acknowledge that the wall fell over and that becomes part of the experience. In fact, if you're able to really make people feel like, oh, this is only happening right now. Like that wall didn't fall over yesterday. And wow, this guy is understanding that that wall fell over and is creating something in the moment for us right now. That's where everybody like leans in. 
so I, I guess my encouragement is to really think about beyond what it is that I'm, I'm saying, how am I looking at this experience holistically? What can I do to really have people have a sense of value, a sense of excitement, a sense of a energy shift, whatever that might be before I even do anything. And then certainly that applies, you know, throughout the session, are, are you, can, can there be lighting switches? Can there be moments where you're, where you're utilizing the entire stage, where you're coming out into the audience, you know, those kind of things. How am I utilizing this space? How am I, how am I making this special adding value in a way that it feels like, oh, this is just happening right now just for us. So you bring up a really interesting point that that I believe, and I think that is that, that speakers who are really serious about the audience, they don't just show up, get mic'd, and go on stage. They actually mm-hmm. watch at least the speaker right before them, if not the whole day or the day before, so that they can sort of weave that in. However, sometimes on the examples you're using, and I think those are fantastic, but sometimes you are in a theater, you can't move the chairs, or the, just the way it's set up and what the, the group has paid for is pretty plain. You don't have a lot of, of, of staging or you're in a union shop. You're not allowed to touch anything because they're going to like, you know, charge you and run, run you out of town. So mm-hmm. what are some little things you can do? I love the idea of, hey, I moved it around and started with a song. What's one or two other little things that you can do to curate the experience if you can't change the set? I mean, the simplest things like you could literally like put a flower on your mic stand, like 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 you could have some kind of little props, something to just do something to like. And even better, even better if it's a callback to something like if the first speaker had talked about flowers, if you put a flower up there. Uh, Yeah, actually, actually, one of my best openings, okay, was I was speaking to, um, so I I know in America, you guys have like the CIA, right? So it's like the, you know, Secret Service or whatever, right? So in Canada, we have CSIS, which is, which is the equivalent. And, and in, so I was addressing them. Uh, I don't even know if I'm allowed to, I won't talk about what I talked about, but um, <laughs> they basically, it was really high security to get in there. Like I, I had to, before I went in, I had to send them like a manifest of every single item I was bringing in. And I got, you know, the full pat down and everything and everything. And then they, they, they put this red badge around my neck. And I had these escorts that when I was walking through the halls of this building, they would yell ahead and they'd say red badge. And that meant everybody had to stop talking because they might have been talking about <laughs> confidential things. Right. So they say red badge. Um, and and so I'm getting escorted always. Everybody's saying red badge. Everybody stops talking. And so I walk out on the on the stage and uh, and I, I don't remember exactly what I said. But I said, you know, a lot of my times in, in the early days of my of my music career, I would, I would really struggle with the audience, like to get them to stop talking. And then I took the badge and I hung it on the mic stand and I said, red badge, which um, <laughs> is like they're not allowed to talk. Right. Oh, when the red badge. And so that was like everybody just like died laughing. And the, the red badge like hung on the mic stand the whole time. And it just sort of signaled to them of like, oh, he didn't make the red badge joke for anybody else. And that's like the first thing he said. So he's like here with us. He knows us. And and this is like and then the red badge kind of became this reference point that I got to reference the entire talk, you know, so something like that. Um, Like, I I love what you just said about about 
paying attention to what's happened right before. Um, I was doing a showcase for at the PCMA conference um, for you know meeting planners, event professionals. It was a huge showcasing opportunity, and there was some kind of like slightly goofy video about about like the town that we were in and and i don't remember what i said but the first words out of my mouth again were like referencing the video and you know in just something to like pull us into the moment so if you can't control the physical space then then do something with the temperature in the room. You yeah. know, no, like, I've learned, like, I've learned from, yeah. from, from standup comedy that a great callback is worth, yeah. uh, you know, a, a ton on this. So we don't have a lot of time left. So I do want to transition into, you're not going to be speaking to us about stagecraft when you're actually at the national speakers association. So I do mm-hmm. want to give a couple of minutes to highlight what type of experience are you going to bring to kick off influence 2022? So I actually call what I do a keynote concert. And so anytime that I'm up on a stage, there's going to be music, there's going to be songs and, and those, those sort of become the, the anchor points uh, of the talk. I also, you know, as we talked on earlier, I always think about like, who am I speaking to? Right. So I'm, I'm obviously not going to give the same talk for a group of people who work in the speaking industry as I'm going to give to a group of accountants or people in telecommunications or whatever. So I'm actually particularly excited about this audience because, uh, me discovering the overlap is, is no far stretch because, you know, we are one and the same. Um, and so for me, when I think about a, a group of speakers, uh, I think about, okay, we're all trying to do something that, that's, it's kind of hard. Like you're, you're basically trying to make a living based on the strengths of, of your ideas uh, and your ability to communicate and convey them. And so there's it in, in some ways it's a little bit of the wild West. There's no sort of set rule book. There's no set paycheck. Sometimes there's no set hours. You don't know if it's, if it's, if it's good or not, you're always kind of iterating, figuring things out. Um, and, and I really understand that in a deep way. And, and a lot of the, the, the stories and the, the takeaways that I offer the audience are, are like, how do we continue to show up wholeheartedly in our lives kind of no matter what gets thrown at us. And so I, I have some, some tangible takeaways, some inspirational stories, uh, and some songs to kind of anchor, anchor these takeaways that will, that will really help people. I think, connect to that inner sense of, oh yeah, okay, everything might not go exactly the way I want it to, or I might be dealing with X, Y, Z challenge. But when I, when I find ways to show up wholeheartedly in my life, then I'm, I'm creating the potential every day, every talk, uh, to create incredible impacts and outcomes. Uh, I'm excited to see what you bring to us in Nashville. It's been a pleasure to have you here on Speakernomics. I think everybody, if you haven't signed up for Influence 2022, how, why would you want to miss a thunderbolt for the soul? Because that's how we're going to kick this off with Peter Katz in Nashville. Also, if you didn't know this about Peter, and I didn't say it in the introduction, he has been nominated for both a Juno Award, which would be like the Canadian Grammys, and a Canadian Screen Award, which would be like the Canadian Academy Awards. And so, uh, uh, Peter, he knows his stuff when it comes to the music side of the world, and he knows his stuff when it comes to the speaking side of the world. And I think we're going to get an experience of those worlds coming together at Influence 2022. So, Peter, any final words for the Speakernomics audience? Well, I just want to say, uh, well, first of all, Tom, thank you for having me. And, and to the audience, I, I just have a deep 
deep respect to, to everybody that's listening to this. I, I think it's 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 not an easy thing to do what we do, um, but it's it's incredibly rewarding and uh, and and I, I just have a deep respect for people. So I, I'm looking forward to uh, honoring honoring the, the people that uh, take the trouble to to come to the conference and create a, a really powerful experience for you. Awesome. Well, thank you, and thank you to everybody who joined us here on Speakernomics. Every single week, we interview really cool people like Peter Katz. So make sure every week you're listening to the show. So join us next week where we're going to have more thoughts, ideas, and actionable information on how to make more money and build a better speaking business. And always remember the motto of this podcast, speak, get paid, repeat. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.